Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a great week. My week, unfortunately, hasn't been so great. I came down with COVID for a second time in just seven months. So a little bit concerning, but I am hanging in there. And as soon as my 10 days are up, I am heading to Florida to be with my family for Passover. So really looking forward to that. This week's podcast is with Louis Staples, who I am just so excited for you all to get to hear from. He's a London-based writer, editor. He, You guys have probably read so many of his articles that are featured in Rolling Stone and it's just like a, a bunch of other places, Daily Beast. He is so fantastic. And he's so fantastic, in fact, that he's going to be the guest this week and also next week. So we pre-recorded an episode mainly about Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip that is going to be next week when I am on vacation. I think you guys will really, really enjoy hearing from him. Um, wanted to share a few thoughts uh, this week with you before we get to my conversation with Louie. First of all, we have a new summer house show based in Martha's Vineyard featuring an all-black cast, and I am so excited for this. First of all, I love the aesthetic of Martha's Vineyard. It seems similar to the Hamptons. I love looking at the houses and like the views of the beach, and oh, and it seems as if we've got like a group of friends where there are some couples that maybe are married. There may maybe a few cast members that are like part of the LGBTQ plus community. Like, I just feel like we need a bit of a shakeup on the actual current Summer House cast that we're seeing. And this is sort of what I feel like we're all looking for to see a combination of fun, of relationships, of like navigating adulthood. I'm so here for it. The trailer just looked incredible. What also looked great was the Real Housewives of Atlanta trailer. Now, I've seen it three times, and I'm going to blame COVID brain, but I like can't remember a single plot line. <laughs> I keep watching it, and I'm just like, oh, that looks so good. And then I'm like, wait, what, what was that? <laughs> so um, it does. Both of these are going to come out on Sunday, May 7th, and I am here for both of them. I am so excited, and... Yeah, it's um, interesting to see. Okay, I do remember one plot line. Um, we see Ralph and Drew's divorce. But from my understanding, they wrapped filming on Atlanta. And then, you know, they filed for a divorce. And then I guess cameras went back up to capture a little bit of that to like bring together what was filmed with more real time. So that's a little bit like what we're seeing on Vanderpump Rules. And speaking of Vanderpump Rules... Louie and I didn't get as into this week's episode, but I'm really enjoying like the show itself. Aside from all of the drama that's happening off the show, I think that this season is just a fantastic season of the show. There's so much happening. There's so many dynamics that are going on, and it's just interesting to try and follow along. I <laughs> am still very perplexed by James and Allie's relationship those of you who have been doing nothing but being on Instagram, which I have the last few days because I've been sick, have probably seen a couple of, you know, videos of Allie, James's girlfriend, who was on a reality show called The Valley in 2014, where she is playing guitar and singing and is an aspiring performer or something like that. So it does appear that she has always been interested in being on TV. And so it makes the relationship between them make a bit more sense. But it's just still so odd to see how 
like James is so unusually like fawning over her all the time, but then not listening to her at the same time when she's trying to kind of let him know to kind of calm down. So at that scene at the very end of the episode where, you know, James was drunk and he's with uh, getting and in, kind of into it with Ariana about whether or not he got into an altercation with one of Brock's friends the whole thing is just like embarrassing. He acts embarrassing. And it's just really sad to then link that to the first scene from the episode with his dad, where his dad is basically saying, I don't see anything wrong with binge drinking. And I don't know how you can do your job as a DJ without binge drinking. And so like, it's just, he's entertaining, even when he's sober, and he's talented and I just it's really hard to watch him um, drink again and behave this way he has behavior issues even when he's sober so it's <laughs> I don't know I don't know their whole relationship is just very unusual to me would love to hear people's thoughts dissecting it because I can't put my finger on what is weird about it but there's there's something that just feels off um I loved, loved, loved the scene between Brock and Sheena and Lala talking about what happened last season, how they got to where they are now, and Brock kind of taking accountability for things in his past, you know, paying the child support for his kids, you know, trying to refocus on his current relationship and his daughter Summer and wanting to provide stability to her you know, appreciating that Lala kind of was calling him out and that's what friends do. And and she in turn apologized for the way in which she was calling him out on his behavior. And they kind of talk about how that Lala's looking into buying a house right next to them. And it turns out in real time that she has and that they want to have this sort of interesting kind of modern dynamic where they kind of raise their girls together. And it sounds it sounds really beautiful. I really I love their friendship and seeing Lala around Sheena seems to soften her a bit. Whereas when Lala's around Katie, she's a little bit harder and um, nastier. And I don't like that version of her as much. Speaking of Lala and Sheena, they both were on Sheena's podcast. Well, of course, they <laughs> Sheena was on her own podcast. Oh, my God, guys. Ah, <laughs> my brain. Um, so... I really enjoyed this episode of Sheena's podcast. They talk about the end of the temporary restraining order. They talk about a bunch of things that happened, you know, between Raquel and Sheena. They also talk about some stuff from the reunion. I'm shocked that they aren't being told to keep quiet more about things related to the reunion. But it's just really interesting to hear Sheena talk about really mourning the loss of her friend Raquel and also to hear just how much she was sort of mothering Raquel and trying to provide Raquel with guidance. Um, and she seemed to kind of go above and beyond. And some of the things that she brings up about Raquel really do concern me in terms of Ra Raquel's ability to live and function independently as an adult, like truly. Um, she mentioned that there would never be toilet paper in the because in the apartment. So Raquel would stay in Sheena's apartment when Sheena wasn't there, um, or she had her own room. She would bring different guys home, have sex in Sheena and Brock's bed rather than the bed that she had in her own room. Also, like in the kitchen and the kitchen counter, she wouldn't like get toilet paper or you know, laundry detergent, she would leave the Brita like messed up so that it got moldy. She just like didn't seem to know how to keep a place neat and clean and um, functional. And, and that just, it kind of goes from how she lived in college and then immediately moved in with James Kennedy and then has never really lived on her own or done anything on her own. And it she seemed to needed to be reminded about things in a way that I don't know. I hope I hope she's getting the help and support that that she needs to live a healthy, independent life. Um, but it clearly won't be Ariana and Sheena providing that to her. Another thing that I took away from that podcast was 
a story that Sheena said about the paparazzi following Ariana to when she was meeting up with Sheena and how Sheena didn't want Ariana to park at her house because she didn't want the paparazzi to know where she lived. And then just like how difficult it was for them to meet up. And then the paparazzi wanted to get pictures of Sheena too. And when she was leaving the restaurant, she couldn't leave out the front and she was with her daughter and it was just her and her daughter. And then she went out this back alley and it was dark out and her daughter just kept saying like, home, home, like, kind of like, why are we going this way? And it was she was very scared. And I'd like all of us to take a moment to think about that fear that Sheena had and to know that every time that, not every time, but many times that we read an article on TMZ.com or on page six or any of these tabloids, they're using these sort of what I would consider exploitative practices to get photographs. And every time we click on these links and every time we screenshot and reshare on our Instagram pages, we are playing in to this like horrible dynamic and predatory behavior that paparazzi have towards, you know, famous people. And yeah, is Sheena or Ariana that famous? Not that famous, but famous enough to be followed and to fear for their safety. And everyone deserves to feel safe in their own home. And I just... It, every time I see a story like, oh, Raquel was found sleeping over at Tom Sandoval in the house that he shares with, you know, Ariana, it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like that means that they're hiding out on that street in Valley Village and trying to get these pictures. And they're invading people's privacy. They're making people feel unsafe. And I'm sorry, if you're shocked by hearing that, then you clearly haven't been paying attention to the last month of stories that Tom and Raquel don't care about anyone's feelings and seem to lack any sort of empathy towards Ariana in any way, shape, or form. And so nothing they do should be shocking to us at this point. And I don't know. I'm I'm very uncomfortable with how we as fans are feeding into this crazy frenzy that led to a situation where Sheena felt fear um, for her own safety and for her daughter's safety. And so when I say I feel like people are going overboard with the scandal of it all, like that's what I mean. And our behavior and how we are online does impact that. And so just just a thought. I'm trying to think about it. I'm always thinking about what I click on and, you know, what is this going to mean for, you know, my giving clicks and energy and engagement to someone I want to give it to or to a subject I don't want to give it to, you know, and I think about this like all the time. Just I feel like if you're going to be, you know, a person on social media, you have to. Um, and I feel like we have a responsibility to maybe pull back a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm not clicking on any of the TMZ articles or anything like that, um, that come up. I, we will find out anyhow, right? Like we, there's so many freaking Instagram accounts <laughs> that all they do is publish this, you know, Vanderpump news. We don't need to click on it. Um, so Okay, I'm off my high horse. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm making any sense today, honestly. And then just wanted to briefly chat about Summer House this week. So I really appreciated watching Lindsay and Amanda finally sitting down and having lunch together because I can't remember them ever sitting down and talking to one another. And, you know, Lindsay does seem genuinely hurt by Amanda, but... I don't know if she's interested in being friends with Amanda. And I still don't quite understand why everyone on the show, aside from Carl, seems to hate her. And if anyone could enlighten me, that would be amazing. I know they say she's calculated. I'm sure she finds ways to make herself look good in stories and other people look bad because of her history as a publicist. And I'm sure she knows how to 
get the audience to be on her side and things like that. But it is difficult watching this season and seeing the obsession with Lindsay where she is as like less activated than she's ever been. And it's like they're mad that she's not mad. I I can't quite figure it out. And then specifically, last week, they were all upset. Oh, she wanted to go to Montauk and she didn't go to Montauk. Then this week, we see her go uh, have a girls night and actually order drinks. And then it's like, oh, you know, that's not good either. So I feel like she can't do anything right. And I'm not quite understanding where they're all coming from with being so critical of her behavior, it does seem to come from a place that is not as genuine as last summer when people were a bit critical of Amanda and Kyle's relationship. That seemed to come from a place of love and concern from her friends. But when it's not being brought up from Lindsay's friends and it's not coming from a place of love and concern, she can tell. So she'll react that way. And I would think that Danielle would have more love and concern, but it's not coming across that way. And I agree with Danielle that it is offensive that Lindsay wouldn't go to Montauk and would say she had no reason to go because there is a reason to spend time with her very good friend Danielle and to go out and dance. What I think Lindsay is trying to figure out is, can she go out and have a good time and not come home and be super drunk and be triggering for her boyfriend, Carl, who is sober? And I don't know that she's figured that part out because it really is possible to go out and dance and not drink a lot. But according to Danielle, it seems like when they go hand in hand. And Danielle seems to be almost upset that Lindsay is curbing her drinking which I would think would be a positive thing. Um, And I just, I can't put my finger on it, but it just doesn't, I understand that all of them feel this one way about Lindsay and there has to be some truth to like why they feel that way. But watching the show, it just doesn't all come together for me. So I'm really looking forward to the new summer house taking place in Martha's Vineyard because this one is just kind of sad. It's just sad to watch friendship breakups and the dynamics the way that they are and people not wanting to grow up and people not accepting other people's lifestyles and choices to be sober. It's just, it's tough. It's tough. It's not as fun. And I want it to be fun. Um, I'm also loving Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip 3 based in Phuket, Thailand. But I will save my thoughts on that for next week's episode. Oh my goodness, I have been talking at you straight for 17 minutes. I, <laughs> I'm i sorry. <laughs> it's because I've been in isolation for five days. I like, haven't talked to people enough. <laughs> Just like talking into this microphone and... Uh, Sorry. Sorry for overdoing it. Um, But I think you guys are really going to like this episode. I have gone to great lengths to try and edit out every sneeze and every cough that I had when I was interviewing Louie. And I was a little bit sicker than I am right now. So um, I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. As always, if you like the podcast, go ahead, give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. If you have any constructive criticism or just want to drop me a note, you can reach me at Mandy Slutsker on Instagram and Twitter, but um, Twitter seems to have gotten to shit as of late. Yeah? Yeah. All right. I hope you are all going to have a great rest of your week and... Um, I will chat with you in one week's time. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you.
everyone. I am here with Louis Staples, a London-based writer and editor who writes about culture, TV, the internet, and queer issues. You probably know him from his most recent articles, including how The Real Housewives became The Hunger Games, The Real Housewives shows are in the midst of an authenticity crisis, and The Anatomy of a Scandal. How are you doing, Louis? Well, bitch. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> How does it feel to to share a name with someone who is just getting talked about so much on The Real Housewives of New Jersey? I mean, it's amazing, especially because he is probably one of the most fascinating people I think I've ever watched on reality television. It's somewhat of an honor. I actually, in terms of spelling, share the name with his son. So weirdly, he and his son, have the name is pronounced the same, but there's an there's a different spelling. So yeah, his son is spelled in exactly the same name as mine. But and yes, his it's, is L U I S. L U I S. Yeah, which for in, in my neck of the woods, when someone's name is spelled like that, that's kind of like Spanish Portuguese yeah. way of spelling it. Um, so um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I ha- will have to ask him what's. Yeah. But then he's obviously <laughs> he's obviously spelled his son's name differently. So so yeah, um, it's it's. A total honor to share it with the the most red person on the red faced person <laughs> of New Jersey. Among all the red faced men, he Among, is. Yeah, I mean that's it's quite an accolade because there's stiff competition on that franchise for you know the crimson face. But I think he takes it. I think he I think he takes the win. How much of it do you think is sun, and how much do you think is alcohol? I genuinely, honestly, do not know. Like, how can it be that sunny in New Jersey? Like, it must be sun beds, right? In this, <laughs> like in the summer, it is, and it's if East, you don't wear sunscreen, right? But why did why would just them specifically not wear sunscreen? <laughs> but then I'm like, you have to drink a lot of alcohol to be that red. But then I guess that is kind of their vibe on that franchise, right? They, you know, I thought it was interesting on the current episode how it was they almost had like two. They had like one party one day after the other, right? I think like one event one after the other, which I thought was kind of rare on a. Uh, housewife show like to have an all cast party like one with the husbands like one day after another like normally that would be like that that's it for that episode but i guess they were there for they for the weekend so they they had two but yeah they were very like they got back on it like very i was impressed i'm not sure i would be able to do that i feel like the men drink a lot more than the women Mm. on jersey except for jennifer aiden (laughs) yeah yeah it's true actually like i definitely feel like no one it's rare to see the other women like quote unquote sloppy like I kind of feel like they're a bit judgy with Jennifer Aiden on her drinking to be honest with you because I don't know like it's that eternal thing of like I think that she generally is quite a fun drunk like generally um obviously there's there's been times where she's not but I sort of think that if someone's a fun drunk and they're entertaining um and it's like they're mainly just sort of doing that in a party situation like it's kind of like I'm all here for it to watch it it's if it sort of becomes very like I don't know like dark or concerning that I sort of tend to feel a bit like icky watching watching it unfold on Housewives like I definitely think there's been times with like Sonia Morgan where I've been a bit like I could deal with not watching this or like even Dorinda as well like oh maybe very much dark Dorinda. But Actually, with Jennifer, all of them are kind of yeah. I mean, New York is 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 a whole situation. But actually, for Jennifer, I kind of get that she's just kind of like needs to let off some steam. And I don't know. I thought that there was a, that moment between her and Jackie. It was quite sweet at the the party. I mean, I'm like fully heartbroken about Jackie not being a housewife anymore. Like I'm thank a, you, like, me too. Jackie Stan since day one. I think that she, what I don't understand as well is that they've brought on these, well, three newbies, two new housewives, right? So they've got um, Jen Fessler, who's a friend of as well, and then the two new housewives. But what I don't understand is, like, it just feels weird to get rid of, well, not get rid of, demote someone who's been on the show and, like, shared their stories so deeply, um, which I definitely sort of felt like that wasn't a closed story. Um, And then take a sort of risk on these new new faces who I do think are both doing well in their own way but I do miss Jackie having more of a role there's like a few th- t- 
times where she's mentioned you know I went out for dinner with Jen or whatever and then it's like that was obviously filmed but we haven't seen it and like so I feel like it's a bit unfair on her that they demoted her and oh I actually have a little bit of gossip on that so months ago when it was speculated that Jackie was being demoted I tweeted saying um I think it's so unfair that they're demoting Jackie after all that she shared on the show and she liked the tweet and followed me so oh no in fact she didn't like the tweet but she followed me straight after I like after I posted it so I was like "Mm, she didn't like the tweet but she definitely like she likes that take so I feel like Jackie also maybe felt a little bit unfair it is unfair especially since we want these women to share their real lives i don't know that we've seen i mean on real houses beverly hills they did not give the opportunity you know to oh my god her name is escaping me covid brain crystal crystal the opportunity because they did film an entire scene between her and a eating disorder therapist I had the therapist on my podcast. I didn't know at the time, but she is like a major expert in eating disorders who's based in California, Southern California. And so her name came up and was given to Crystal. Crystal called her up and was like, can we talk? And also, would you feel comfortable filming? And the woman was like, yes, I think this is really an important educational like opportunity to educate people that just because no two eating disorders are the same. She was like, it's a thought disorder. And people always forget that part. Anyways, I just feel so strongly that Jackie brings something that we haven't seen on Jersey. And I don't know why they always want to lean into people who are just very flamboyant personalities and yell really quickly and don't make clear, articulate arguments the way that she does. And I I appreciate her linear thinking. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that she stands up to Teresa and like that she she does stand her ground. Like she's, she's not a yeller really, but you know, Teresa really lost it with her because and, you know, that's how, I mean, we can get into Teresa later, but that's how bullies behave when they're confronted. You know, she was not happy about being called out on her, frankly, completely out of line comments that she was making in that moment. And yeah, I agree with you. She has something different and she has real relationships with women in this pivotal season. I think it's so difficult for newbies. We, we kind of saw this on season four of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills when they... um introduced Carlton and Joyce (laughs) and the whole season was kind of like a big it was the first LVP like taking the shine off LVP season where she first kind of got accused of doing something bad which I think was the tabloids with Mm -hmm. Kyle and Ruzio or something so it's kind of the first of many seasons which ended up kind of culminating with an LVP is bad moment and all those kind of relationships Kyle and Brandy coming to a head and I think when a season is so intense with these people that we know quite well it's kind of hard for newbies to have their own voice and be kind of seen when there's all that kind of war going on already like we're already sort of seeing these newbies kind of like having to put themselves into camps in this kind of quite divided group and that's difficult because you're not really getting to know that person so well um you're sort of getting to know how they are faring in a very kind of already moving conflict, which, so I think it's a shame that we lost Jackie in that regard as well, because she was quite a good person in terms of that. She is kind of forming a relationship with Jennifer and she kind of can go across the aisle a little bit. She's friends with Dolores. Like she's not, she's definitely team Melissa. She's definitely close with Margaret, but I wouldn't say she's like die hard, like is going to defend them if they're behaving completely unacceptable. I think that she's definitely got, the range to go beyond that. So I do think it's a shame that instead we kind of have a lot of scenes of these newbies being kind of like caught up on drama that they've probably seen on the show, but they're having to be like told about it on camera and like really brought up to speed instead of someone that's kind of already in the group. Totally. I a hundred percent agree. I was wondering, (laughs) so speaking of drama, I am having a major issue following the drama that came up this week, which I, unironically, these women are calling Pizzagate. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't help but laugh. Um, 
So I have so many questions, and you probably don't have answers to it, but I do want to get your thoughts just on the dynamics. What costs $250,000 that you would just put money out without a contract being in place? Why was there no contract? Did they agree to call the pizza place no-nos and how to market it? Or was that influx? Like, why? (laughs) It's just, it's one of those stories where you know both sides of the story are completely untrue. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yes, as, I, as, I was, as I was as I was watching it, you know, there's no way that those stories can be the same situation, you know. Um, it's sort of like the type of story where you can sort of tell that both teams are almost looking to misunderstand each other on purpose. Um, yeah, I don't understand why he would put up two, 250K and then what did it get spent on? Like, how did he lose the money? Like, if they put up 250K then truly, if they decided not to do it, you would just get that 250 to get back? Like, like, what was, how, did they spend all the money? Like, do you see what I mean? I don't understand how I they lost I don't understand it. And, and then it was so unusual when Joe Gorga was like, oh, and then my nephew, I'm like, wait, are you talking about someone from Melissa's family? Then it's no longer you and Teresa. Why would you bring in someone from Melissa's family if this is about your father? It just and is also, very confusing. Why is- why is why is Louis putting this money up when Teresa makes good money? You know, we know that she does. And the Gorgas also have money. Like, why is he involved in this? Like, this is what I don't understand. Like, why is, what's, why would you, if you're wanting to do a business with your sister, if you're wanting to do a business with your sister, why would you then um, invite her not even husband yet into, into the equation? It doesn't so- make any sense. I think that Louis was being a bridge between Joe and Teresa. I, at the time, I think Louis had the most money out of all of them. And then I don't think Joe and Melissa have that much no, money. neither do I. I, I think they I. act I think like the they subtext. do. When he was like, oh, right. oh, you know, I could have put it up. Well, why didn't you? It's giving Russell Armstrong, yes. like, hard drive well, with a million not, dollars of debt on Not it. Russell, but yes. <laughs> No, but not not in terms of that side of things, but in terms yes. of the money, like like dodgy deal. It's you know who it's giving. It's giving Dorit and PK. Like you know, like all those weird stories about their finances, which have kind of died down now. But like um, for a few years, there was just like endless stories about people they owed money to, and like houses that were tax owed tax on, and like properties that were like shadily registered in like, only her name, and just like weird stuff that like He's felt explained. like. More this- some of it PK has and that he made an insane amount of money ahead of 2008 like in real estate and then it all came crashing down and then he remade a lot of money and like that crashing down process they borrowed a lot and he didn't want a lot of things in her name because it was him that lost the money and that was interesting so he's talked about it I forgot where he talked about I think it was on Kate Casey's podcast and I he see. went in more detail. And so not that I think that they're 100% kosher on all of their finances, right. but I do think there are some explanations that I have never heard from the Gorgas. The Gorgas, mm. it sounds like, I mean, he has fraudulently posted things on Instagram saying that he remodeled this house and it was like taken from uh, somebody else's post. He's not the one. And he's done this a few different yeah. times. And they've been accused of not repaying contractors, uh, like vendors, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I feel like he plays fast and loose in business in a way that is very detrimental. And when he said, oh, there's no problem going into business with family, if it's in your like heart, you are doing the right thing. No, absolutely not. Like, you have to have contracts in place for absolutely everything. Everything. Why? And I agree. And it still is messy because it's family. And you have a history of a messy family. Like, the most history. <laughs> I also think, though, that, like, so my take on this whole thing, and I'm fully prepared for this to be unpopular, and I'm fully prepared for this to be, like, proved wrong by, like, whatever happens in this season. But I am, despite all the stuff we've just said, which I totally agree with, I am team Melissa and Joe in this situation because... Mm-hmm. I think that basically they can be crooks, allegedly. 
they can be really, really, really annoying. Like, so annoying. Like, going over and over this, over and over again. Like, it's so boring. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are wrong. And if I'm Melissa and Teresa is literally saying things like, I have daddy issues when, like, my father died as a teenager. And, like, as as we've seen teased for the rest of the season, we'll have to see how that plays out. But it looks kind of like Teresa's spreading rumors about her having, like, a bit on the side or whatever, like... I'm like, I wouldn't want to go to that person's wedding. Like, I'm, that's just a fact. And as much as, yes, they might be doing it, hamming it up for the TV, they've definitely talked fast and loose about Teresa. I mean, they're no angels. But I think when it comes down to it, I can see why they didn't go to the wedding. And I can also see why they don't want a relationship with this woman. I think that the way Teresa speaks about Melissa is so horrible and misogynistic the way she's like if she was a good woman she'd fix it like it's incredibly gross patriarchal bs that she trots out about melissa and don't get me wrong melissa's probably really annoying and Teresa and her aren't close and that that's totally fine like i'm not saying that i love the gorgas i'm just saying that the kind of way that Teresa feels like it's acceptable to talk about them it makes me uncomfortable. And this whole air of like, I made you that she has because she was on the show first when, you know, Melissa survived on that show for, um, you know, a decade now. And in the sphere of housewives, that's a really long time. You know, LVP didn't last that long. You know, these iconic housewives that we've seen some, you know, Lisa Rinna didn't last that long. Often they fall into a big scandal or a fan backlash or, you know, it just doesn't work out for them. So I don't really feel like it's fair to say that Teresa made Melissa when, you know, after this long on the show, she, you don't have to like her, but she has obviously brought something to the show that Bravo value to keep around. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I'm teetering a little more on the Teresa side this season compared to seasons past. But I think they're both wrong. And I actually blame Joe Gorga and Teresa more because they're the brother and sister. And they should be able to work to repair their relationship without bringing in their spouses. I think blaming Melissa for stuff that Joe has done is is awful. I also think Joe doesn't seem to show any interest in resolving conflict. He just likes being angry. And so that's that's not Melissa's fault. That's just who he is. And I do think at least Teresa's trying with therapy and at least trying to develop boundaries. When it comes to the wedding, I get why they wouldn't want to go. But that is basically saying I no longer want to be in like have a relationship with these people. And if you don't want to have a relationship with them, why would you want to be on a show with them? And I get it. Like they both are like fighting for space on this platform. But at the end of the day, Teresa's always going to win. This was always her show, quote unquote, how they've done it from season three on. And I just think if Melissa wants to like fully break ties and Joe, then break the fucking ties. Don't just not go to the wedding and then bitch about it on social media. Talk about it at the reunion. Try to come back next season. Like stand your ground. If you don't want them in your life, then leave. I think that there's some (laughs) seriously valid points there that I can't argue against. You know what I mean? But I will say I blame Louis for the current situation. Interesting. Because they all say, including Teresa, that this has gotten much worse since he came onto the scene. Um, And I just don't think that can be a coincidence. And we see it on the show where he once goes from being all, Joe's hurt, it's really sad, to, you know, winding her up, essentially, to have a fight with them. And I completely think that even if you side with Teresa in this argument, and this fight, I honestly think that you nobody can look me in the eye and say they honestly think this man is not bad news. It's giving Brooks airs. It's giving weird, scammery situation. I find it uncomfortable to watch a man try to isolate a woman from her family. And I feel like that's what I've seen unfolding on this show. He talks in her ear, but then plays the reconciliator, reconciliator, the mediator, 
yeah whatever the word is um and then when the cameras are up and then but then it's weird i kind of thought melissa said something super interesting in the most recent episode where she said something like i think that's the person he wants to be but he just can't or something like that and i thought that was quite an astute observation i think he wants to be this kind of like male guru thing which is interesting because i sort of think joe gorga does as well they both have this kind of like lifestyle man shtick that they do on social media where they're like very preachy like go on joe gorga's social media and like my toes are just curling the whole time it's like monday motivation and all this stuff oh, and like you say all these all these mansions that he may or may not have even been involved in renovating and all this stuff it's very like lifestyle influencer and then louis ha- kind of has the same like shtick but like in a different way, in a slightly more kind of therapy, like forgivenessy, like way. So I think they're kind of similar in that way, and they've both obviously got huge egos. But yeah, I just think that there's definitely something sinister about this man. And I'm sorry, but it gives me the same type of vibe as when I used to watch Jason Hoppy, like literally, oh. like this kind of vibe where I just like it just all felt a little too good to be true, and I just felt like the way this man was behaving in front of the camera was not genuine. And I just like, obviously hope that isn't true for Teresa's sake. Like I do want her to be happy, but I think that whatever you think about this feud, that man is weird. Maybe being weird doesn't mean that he's evil. Maybe he's just weird, but like, I just think he's weird. Like the pajamas comment was weird. Like (laughs) there's no way that you can tell me that, that that was not weird. There's no way of framing it. It's not weird. It's the whole thing about the wedding and like like apologizing to her like basically throwing Teresa under the bus to Melissa's mom like it was also like and then going after her when the cameras were rolling like without even speaking to Teresa it was all like weird like I'm, I don't is, I didn't like it it is weird I'm gonna make a very big leap to Vanderpump rules which is then this is hard with Jersey is because the men are such a prominent part of the story But Mm -hmm. last season on Vanderpump Rules, Brock got a lot of flack for his past. He had hit or slapped his ex. Um, He had two kids with them and basically left her high and dry um, to move to the U.S. And people thought he wanted to get in front of the cameras so that he could get famous. And a lot of people didn't like his behavior. Well, since then, he has taken a step back being like, okay, Sheena is the star. I'm not the star. She's going to be the main one. I'm going to take a huge step back. I'm not going to be a main cast member. I'm going to let her shine. And I'm going to try and fix some of these things from my past and be real honest about them. And I feel like it have if we see something like that from Louis, where he really were to take a step back and it not be all about him, and he were to able to admit faults in a lot of things, it would feel quite different. But neither Joe Gorga nor Louis nor Melissa, nor Teresa ever admit fault for anything. And so how can you get to a point of resolving conflict when you have people that just won't acknowledge when they have messed up in some way? It's true. And I do think that, like, not to get too deep about it, there is, I see this sometimes in people that I even know in my personal life, where a lot of people are brought up to think that apologizing for things is you know a sign of weakness and that basically you you win an argument by like just never giving in and occasionally I think in all of our personal lives we encounter somebody like that um and it can be extremely difficult because when you're not a person like that because they're never going to give you any they're never going to give you what you want um so when you're not a person like that and someone is like that, it's kind of easier just to not talk about it or just move on. But then it's difficult when you're like four people like that like, or, you know, a group of people right. that are all like that. When you put them all together, and let's be honest, it's not uncoincidental that two of these people are related. They've clearly been raised the in an incredibly way. emotionally stifled environment, which has made them very bad at communicating with each other. Um and it's interesting because I think that the way Teresa communicates with Louis to give him a little bit of credit after I just trashed him is <laughs> a lot more um, kind of emotionally intelligent than we've sort of seen from her previously. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I watched the therapy bit and I was a bit like, this is giving slight storyline slash like I'm going into battle with them. So I need some I'm doing good in my life 
material. But I mean, if she's doing the therapy, like that's great. But I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure she's really putting the therapy into practice with how she's interacting with them because it's very much like classic Teresa when she's backed into a corner, like the way she screamed at Jackie or like the way that she's behaves when she's under pressure doesn't seem to have changed a great deal. So I mean, you know, everyone's a work in progress. Yeah, exactly. And especially when she's rehashing these old feuds, I can sort of see why she would be taken back to that mode instantly, like as soon as they start. But I have this take on this whole feud, which I may try and monetize. So editors out there, email me, um, but you can hear it here first, is that I basically think there is literally a parallel between the Harry and Meghan versus the Royals and the Gorgas versus Teresa. Um, I think that there's a lot of similarities between these feuds, which is essentially the most glaring similarity is that everyone's bored of this feud. So, you know, Harry and Meghan keep rehashing this feud with the royal family over and over and over again. And even people that support them and think they're broadly right in this situation are a bit like, oh my God, please, can you give it a rest? And I think that's kind of what we feel from the Gorgas. Like, please, can we just talk about something else? There's also this kind of dynamic of like, I made you and you'd be nothing without me that Teresa gives towards them, which is quite similar to how the Royals Royals treat Harry and Meghan. Treat Harry. Yeah, Harry. Um, Yeah, treat Meghan and Harry. Um, So there's these kind of, yeah, and there's this, vibe where Teresa's almost like I'm a dynasty like she's very like I'm in like the new the um the dynasty of New Jersey the the queen of New Jersey which is I think kind of a similar vibe so and then it's all being rehashed and sold across various content platforms and then obviously leaked to the press so and then it's also the similar because the sides like the supporters of each are incredibly entrenched now and I really don't see much crossover between them and you can sort of feasibly as we've just done make a case that either of them is in the right and either of the, either of them is in the wrong if you put enough effort into it you could argue that case so it's become this kind of circle of content and arguing over and over and over again which I think is quite which is driving everyone a little bit mad um which I think is a similar vibe to those two conflicts. Um, but everyone monetizes uh, it. Everyone makes right. money off of it. And I thought, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I saw that Joe Gorga posted something last week, maybe, about Bravo basically telling them to stop discussing the season on social media and on the... He called it a gag order. I mean, I don't know what a gag order is. And I, I haven't, oh. like, approached... I haven't approached <laughs> Bravo for comment. So, I mean, someone can do that. I'm not sure whether that's even true. But um, he said that they've issued a gag order of some sort so it's, that they don't want them to be talking about it on all these other platforms. It's because they don't want the show to play out only on social media. And that it's it's so frustrating with so many of these shows. <clears throat> and the same as on Vanderpump Rules, where like, we know what's happening in real time. 10 years ago, we didn't. Even though social media was around back then, it didn't play out in the same way. And they want to save the drama for the TV and not have it be hashed out only on social media, where only a fraction of the viewership follows. I mean, most of the people I know in my real life that are fans of the show, that watch the show, that aren't part of this Bravo ecosystem, they don't listen to every podcast. They don't follow every you know, Instagram account. So they only find out things when it hits the big times, you know, like New York Times and, you know, that kind of stuff. I, yeah, I think it gets rid of the authenticity of the show itself if every, if you have to follow so many individual stories off of the TV. And yeah, I, so- yeah. I wrote a story which is kind of this adjacent recently about Bravo podcasts, and it was sort of yes. talking about oh, some of these the dynamics. Other one, yes. Um, and you know, it's so interesting what you said just there because we used to have obviously the blogs, didn't we? The Bravo blogs that they used to have to write in exchange for seeing a screen of the episode early before everybody else. They used to write Bravo blogs, and then Bravo blogs, as you'll know and the listeners will know, with were then sort of quoted at the reunion, and then people would because they were the sort of commentary of the show as it was happening. So they would publish Bravo blogs. Then at the reunion, these Bravo blogs would provide more conflict as about the show. And I think that that worked really well, but now it's just sort of gotten out of control because obviously social media made Bravo blogs feel completely prehistoric and outdated. So 
the wives often, you know, live tweet or Instagram uh, live or whatever their reflections on their own or talk about them on their own podcasts. Um, and it's almost like there's just too much, too much of that. And I feel like all these reunions, at every reunion now, there's like probably an episode worth of time that is taken up with talking about arguments on social media, which is essentially like not that interesting, I feel like. Right. I completely I feel like agree. Lisa I think Lisa Rinna that... was really a turning point um, for this whole thing because yes. I would honestly say that if she had not posted on Instagram or even posted like half as much, like if she had not posted on social media or posted less, I think that she would still be holding a diamond today. I think that really, I think she got fired because or mutually decided to step away from the show because Put on pause. She, Put on pause, yeah, whatever, whatever we're going to call it. I mean, I think that that was really down to her behavior on social media. I mean, she, Bravo notoriously really hates it when people come for production or any element of that on social media. And she did kind of make some comments about Lois not getting enough time and stuff like that, which I know Andy brought up with her at the reunion. And I definitely think it did kind of end up spoiling that season of the show a little bit for the fans, how active she was on social media. And also just how big she made the scandal seem on social media compared to what we what actually it saw. It we, felt yeah. quite anticlimactic. Um, so, and she kind of had a habit of doing that, but I think she really took it to like the next level. Um, the, so I think that she was a turning point. And I think, as I said in the piece that I mentioned about Bravo podcasts, I think that, but then also in terms of podcasts, the whole Robin Dixon situation with the Patreon reveal about one i think that we're gonna see bravo becoming a bit more um a bit more bravo a bit more authoritarian about what the cast can and cannot say in their podcasts they should be honestly i think that we need to bring it back to i mean it's almost it's really hard it's like they've opened pandora's box and now they're trying to like put everything back in but i think that they need to be penalized for talking about things when there is a gag order i think they need to have rules on what people can say on their podcasts i think you know if they want to keep the shows authentic you know it's it's hard to keep up with them as a fan if you're just watching the show and then there's so many things taking place in real life so um, it's so hard, but yeah. I think that Tamra Judge obviously has returned to OC, um, which I think that season's going to be really interesting, but she's not allowed to talk about OC or recap it on the podcast that she has, Two Teas with Teddy. So I think we're going to start seeing a bit more a bit more know-how from Bravo on what's going on. I think that they sort of turned a blind eye for a while to, to these podcasts, um, which is interesting because I've I know that they're very, very diligent about who the stars can speak to. You know, if if you want to interview one of the housewives, you can't just like go through their people. You have to go through Bravo. And I know that they're only allowed to appear on podcasts that are like approved. And if if not, they have to request. And like, you know, it's a whole thing. Bravo are very, you know, they've got a really slick PR operation. Um, and they're very um, diligent about what their cast say and the appearances they make. And um, they used to have clauses that the housewives couldn't appear in public together, you know, more than more than four or f- more than three of them, I think it was. Otherwise, that was kind of like a cast event. You know, they're extremely, oh. extremely, they've been extremely careful. So podcasts seem to have become this weird loophole that I think that they're going to close because I just don't see, I just don't see it going on the way it's been. I, I agree. Um, before we wrap this week's episode, wanted to get your thoughts real quick on Vanderpump Rules. So the episode we saw this week, it you know, they're at a bridal shower for Sheena, and they have an after party at Schwartz and Sandy's, and we see Raquel and Tom Schwartz flirt. Do you think that they have any chemistry and do you also think that we would be watching this completely differently had we not known about her and Tom Sandoval? Oh my God. It was incredibly excruciating <laughs> to watch the, I mean, Raquel, I have to say we've all done that 
show me the art installation like yeah before <laughs> like pretend that is that is a woman who is not interested in the art installation um it's so weird because I honestly sort of feel like Raquel is <laughs> this is I don't I honestly don't mean this in a mean way but she's the type of woman that I feel like I could see her with practically like any guy like I don't feel like I look at her and think oh no that that guy is like not a fit for her at all like, I honestly think that she could be she would make a match with like virtually any man on the cast so it's kind of hard for me to answer whether they have chemistry or not um I think that she likes to be the sort of minor character in a relationship if we see you know she's James Kennedy and Tom Sandoval, what they have in common is that they're both huge narcissists, right? And they both think that they're like the most famous person alive and they both are very have very strong opinions about things and they take up a lot of air in the room. I don't really see that dynamic sort of working with Schwartz because I think he quite likes to be the sort of, or cast himself as the sort of submissive character in the relationship, despite the fact that he's actually not and he's actually incredibly stubborn and can be really mean as well but I think he likes to create that vibe where he's the sort of Raquel of the relationship so I don't I think that they would maybe be a bit like two magnets that just repel each other I think they're almost too too similar but um I'm not sure whether it was real or not like it's so hard to tell right I'm like we're still not sure at which point like I would love to I hope that they encounter this at the reunion because it's such a basic question, but I would love to know like literally as they were filming, like the event at which the first time that we see them after whatever it was, you know, how it started after it started, I would love to know like the pin, the pinpoint moment where we can be like, okay. Cause people have said it was very soon after the boys night. So um, I'm like watching this week's episode. I'm like, was it already going on now? You know, and there were so many cute scenes with him and Ariana in this episode that like, it was just so, so hard to watch. Like every time I look at her, which is, I feel like is such a, um, I feel like it's kind of infantilizing and it makes me feel a bit bad in sort of a feminist perspective to be like, oh, because maybe that's not how she's feeling. I don't want to like put those feelings on her, if that makes sense, because I don't know what's, what her, you know, we've, we're still yet to hear really, we've had an Instagram, but we're yet to sort of hear her words on it. And I'm sure how she feels about it will change. But yeah, every time I can't help it. Every time I look at her, I'm just like, oh my God, like you are so happy. Like it's the, the, the Kyle Richards meme. We were all so happy that day. Right. We had no idea how terrible things would soon become. Like that's literally how it feels. So I have a theory. I feel like... Tom Sandoval and Raquel had been physical with one another a few different times, possibly as early as April at whatever that music festival is they all go to. Um, But that it didn't develop into a relationship relationship until later. So they may have had sex with one another after boys night and been interested in one another, but it not developed into like a full-blown affair until later. And my thoughts on Ariana is that she had mentioned that they're like ships passing in the night and that he's doing all this work getting Schwartz and Sandy's open. And so when she's like, I'm going to make him my prisoner, she's like, well, this is the first time that him and I have a moment to be together and focus on each other And I think she was looking forward to it because she had felt probably like she's losing him a bit that she doesn't get to know. She's like, what? You're always running around with your stupid band or you're trying to open this bar and we never have time for us and let's refocus. And he obviously was not refocused. And it sounds like him and Raquel also spent about three hours alone together during the wedding where neither of them are accounted for. I know this just because I've been listening to the stupid podcasts. Again, why they shouldn't be allowed to talk about it on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I love us being like, no podcasts, but also <laughs> being on a podcast. The, <laughs> um, the thing is, the I basically think that Um, it's such a shame because Ariana has been having an amazing season so far. Um, I've been really enjoying her on the show. Like, I think, you know, I mean, she cleared James easily. Um, I know that we're, we've yet to see another bit of that confrontation next week, but I mean, she really like 
so to speak, smacked him down, um, which is, you know, he's a heavy hitter in the Vanderpump Rules world. Um, so I, I think that she's, ha- yeah, just like we're seeing a nice variety of sides to her. We saw, you know, her softer side with the her dog passing away and um, we're seeing, you know, her standing up for herself. So I think it's just like, so unfortunate that we know that this is coming in the in the future because i i hate the thought of that we're gonna have to see her so so sad and um you know broken by this by this whole thing but um yeah i think that lala is having a really interesting season on vanderpump rules as well um you know so i'm fully putting my cards down just so for transparency like i love lala i've always loved lala um She's probably one of my favorite cast members on Vanderpump Rules. Um, you know, the Twitter seems to have a real problem with her. Um, so I'm aware that this is not maybe a popular view um, because people really like to drag her at all times. I think people are just, I don't know whether this, I'm interested in whether this is perhaps a cultural thing in American society, but people really cannot get over that he was married and his marriage wasn't fully over when they got together. Like, it seems like that is just like an incredible sticking point for a lot of people with Lala. Like they'll never be able to get over that. And no matter what she says, if she says anything to anybody else that always gets brought up, you know, so it basically gets brought up to invalidate whatever she says and does. Even if I think is clear from watching the show this season, she's clearly on some sort of journey. And I mean, she's grown up so much and also which I think is a little bit unfair that people don't seem to take into account that she was like really an addict in, you know, a lot of the times when we saw her on the show and she does, she has talked about that, you know, on the show. So it's not like it hasn't been covered, but I think that people don't tend to have the same empathy or for her, um, which is strange because I mean, she's in flashbacks. We see all this kind of crazy, you know, out of control behavior from her and she's not really like that anymore um and she's filming this show where people are drinking all the time and you know you don't really get the sense watching it that she's you know on sort of teetering on the edge of um you know relapsing or anything which I think is really impressive I'm sure that it's maybe more difficult than she lets on because I think she puts up a bit of a front but even to be around someone like James I think must be quite hard for her um and I think that people just don't really give her the slack that she deserves. Um, I think that, you know, the scene with her and Brock was really nice in this week's episode. I loved that. Um, that was my I favorite. Thought, I think that they both came to the correct assessment of it as well, that I totally agreed with her calling it out. But like the way that she kind of went after him to the point where it almost felt like it wasn't really actually about that anymore. It was just about the fact that she despised him and wanted to like humiliate him um, was the wrong way to do it. But I think, you know, I thought, Maybe this was Brock trying to have a, like a redemptive moment, but I mean, it felt genuine on the camera where I just thought it was quite a generous thing for him to say, to say to her, you know, as much as that was painful, you know, it could have actually started a dialogue and got us on a point to being somewhere better. And I thought that that, that was a very generous thing to say to someone who clearly feels very guilty about the way they behaved. Um and, you know, he was kind of like, that's what a friend does. I mean, she definitely was not trying to be his friend at the time. So, right. you know, that's a very rose-tinted view. But she also said, you know, I'm sorry for the way that I did it. So I think that that's really the the correct resolution of the situation. You know, it deserved to be commented on, for sure. And he deserved also to have the opportunity to put his two cents in as, you know, rebuttal to whatever was being said. But then also, you know, the way that it was done I think was incredibly uncomfortable to watch as a viewer. I I didn't really feel comfortable litigating such serious issues like that with someone, his ex-partner that wasn't being given the right of reply. I thought that it was handled in an incredibly ethically dubious way by Bravo um, and sensationalized in a way that I found quite uncomfortable too. Um, Which I think, I know that you just said that Brock's, you know, taking the decision to step back or whatever. I think that it was definitely a mutual decision between him and Bravo to take the step back this season and have, you know, more of a focus on positive moments like the wedding. Um, Because, you know, that type of stuff being near Bravo is not something that they would like particularly. So I think that it was probably a mutual thing. Um, But yeah, I think that it's nice to see them. Obviously, they've had a real sort of reconciliation moment. 
in their relationship. And it was nice to see that because I think that it was a genuine, it felt like a very genuine moment between the three of them when they were sitting together. It was beautiful. And right around this time, in real life, Lala had Brock on her podcast to talk through everything that had happened in their friendship with one another. And he is able to kind of give some backstory to everything that was discussed, his background, kind of his relationship, his assumptions about the kids and everything. So it was it was really good. I think you've really hit the nail on the head with Lala. For me, my issue with Lala is that, and she says it herself, that she's all talk. She's all bark, no bite. And she talks such a big game and doesn't even mean half the stuff that she says. And I find that kind of annoying, but also entertaining. But I also think what's so interesting about people's response to her is that for whatever reason, well, I think we all know the reasons, but purity issues in the United States and people are very, very obsessed with marriage, with affairs, with people being wrong and scorned. And we like to put people into like very like they're right or they're wrong camps and we have trouble differentiating kind of the nuance and the the ugly gray middle. It's not all black and white. And for whatever reason, people think like she knew that he was married. It's her fault for breaking up that relationship, not his fault, the one who's in the marriage. And because she got gifts from him, that it's like extra bad. Like she did this for money and we all know in the United States, exchanging sex for money is like the ultimate sin, right? So we have this bit of purity issues that I feel are worse in other franchises, right? Like The Bachelor, there is, you do not want to get on the wrong side of Bachelor Nation fans. Like if you are the person that has sex before marriage or owns your sexuality in any way, you are ripped apart as a whore by most of middle America, at least with Bravo fans, I feel like there is some, you know, understanding of nuance, but I think they just look at her as the mistress and they can't seem to get over like, even with the whole Ariana Tom situation, oh, well, didn't she get him when he was, you know, at, at the end of his relationship with Kristen? Was there any overlap? You get him, you know, you lose him how you get him. And always a need to blame the woman. I, I feel like we're, you know, it's not just on Jersey where there's misogyny. We all see it and it's kind of part of everything. Well, I hate to end on such a abrupt note, but Louis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We are going to record a, another episode, which will air next week, talking more in depth about Ultimate Girls Trip, about a lot of these articles that you've written and some of the more meta issues that we're, we're dealing with in the Bravo sphere. But can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media, where they can read your articles and everything Louis Staples? So you can find me at Louis Staples on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, those are probably the best places to find my work because I post it all on there and there's links on there too if you want to read my entire back catalog. Thank you so much. And we'll be back with you next week. Thank you.